0: for a great many years. We first started serving together in ministry back, I want to say, like 1992. Uh, and, uh, and some of y'all don't know what, what boot camp ministry is, but we went through some severe boot camp ministry back in those days. And uh, we, were, we were all slick sleeve ministers, Christians that's trying to work and serve the Lord. And man, we learned and we grew a lot. And so we come from a place of deep relationship and deep affection, and and uh, Pastor Danielle will probably be one of the first people that will tell you that that I was one of those that kind of declared that that she was going to be a preacher. You remember that, Pastor Danelle? And that was way back in the day. And I, you know, and I didn't necessarily believe in women preachers back then. I was I was I had some issues, but uh, that's all I would say. Uh, but I've grown, amen. I've I've grown. Some of you need to grow, amen. But. But it was amazing um, because I saw that God's, God's gifts and his calling is without repentance. And I saw the gift of God on her. I saw the anointing of God. Every time she opened her mouth, it was profound. Other than what her term of endearment, and she'll probably tell you what that is. She got a term of endearment for me that, that she's been calling me for years. And that, But we say we was going to behave ourselves today. A- amen. But she, she passionately loves the Lord. Uh, and uh, she is uh, deeply uh, uh, prophetic, insightful. Uh, she draws things from the text that oftentimes that the ordinary person just can't catch. Uh, you know, she, God has given her an incredible ability to see. And so I want you to get your hearts ready uh, for what God is going to pour into you today. And trust me, you're going to get a word from the Lord today i promise you that uh, let me just kind of read her bio uh, pastor danielle perkins is an associate pastor of grace covenant church and has been a member for 14 years everybody say 14. that's a long time to be at one church amen she has a passion to spread the gospel through the arts such as illustrated sermons dance and worship she is gifted in the prophetic ministry and intercessory prayer Danelle has ministered to women in various venues from women's conference to adult detention centers and is trained in Christian counseling and has helped women and couples overcome issues and circumstances and walk in victory. She is a member of the women's leadership team and the director of intercessory prayer ministry at Grace Covenant Church, which is located in Chantilly, Virginia. Danelle was born in Pottsville, PA and is married to Sean Perkins. And the two live in Aldi, Virginia with their three wonderful children and grandson, Nicole, Joshua, Isaiah, and little Miles, right over to my right. Her ministry gifts notwithstanding, she is famous for, watch this church, chicken and waffles. The best uh, this side of California. I never heard of chicken and waffles until I started talking to Danelle Perkins. Even I think before it ever became popular uh, in the South, I think Danelle was already on it. Amen. Uh, but uh, she's known for that. But, but anyway, stand up with me and receive her as she comes and minister the word of the Lord. Amen.
1: Testing two, three, four. There we go. Hallelujah. While you're standing, let's give God some glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He's worthy. Okay, let let me set this praise for you. How many sports fans do we have in here? Okay. Well, sports fans, you're going to have to set it off. Think of your favorite team. All right, three seconds to go. They're getting ready to score, and this score means whether they're going to win or lose. So everybody with bated breath is watching this moment, and your team wins. Now, imagine the stadium. Now, we're just talking about a ball that went over a line, and you don't get any benefit from it. Now I want you to take that praise from that stadium and give it to God who just saved your life. Say, he saved my life. Hallelujah! Give him a praise. Give him some glory. Hallelujah, he is good.
0: Some of y'all, that
1: praise is going to hit you while y'all are sleeping. Go ahead and sit down. <laughs> we got to give God praise while we have the chance. Yes. Because he said if we don't, the rocks will cry out. And I don't know about you, but I don't want a rock concert on my behalf. On, so I'm going to go ahead and do it while I have breath in my bones. What a blessing it is to be here. Yeah. Gary and Peggy are like my brother and sister. So like he said, I'm really going to try to behave. And I'm not going to tell you my term of endearment for him, prayerfully. It might just come out because I call him hit it all the time. So I'm so used to calling him this name that if it slips out, please forgive me. Please don't call your pastor that because I will be in big trouble. (laughs) But we are going to begin by praying and giving our father honor. Can we bow our heads in prayer? Father, we thank you for this moment in time that you ordained even before we were formed in our mother's womb. Father, we ask that you would open our spiritual ears, our heart, to see beyond what we see and hear beyond what we hear. We yield this time to you. You are our Lord, and we thank you that you are driving this ship. We have the privilege to be the passengers, and as you take us on this journey, I thank you for the many things that you've prepared for us individually, and corporately we declare a blessing over this house we thank you for the celebration of this anniversary have your way in Jesus name amen and amen. Well, I'd like to start out with a poem um, from um, James Kennedy his name is and it's called the cold within and it says six humans trapped by happenstance in black and bitter cold Each one possessed a stick of wood, or so the story's told. Their dying fire in need of logs, the first woman held hers back, for on the faces around the fire, she noticed one was black. The next man looking across the way saw not one of his church, and couldn't bring himself to give the fire his stick of birch. The third one sat in tattered clothes and gave his coat a hitch, why should his log be put to use to warm the idle rich? The man just, the rich man just sat back and thought of the wealth he had in store and how to keep what he had earned from the lazy, shiftless poor. The black man's face bespoke revenge as the fire passed from sight, for all he saw in his stick of wood was a chance to spite the white. And the last man of this forlorn group did not accept to gain Giving only to those who gave was how he played the game. The logs held tight in death's still hands was proof of human sin. They did not die from the cold without, they died from the cold within. What do you see in the stick that God is giving you? Each one of you were given a stick today. And I'm going to tell you what to do with this a little later. But each one of you, the moment you received Christ, you received a gift that God has for you to deploy in his kingdom. So the question is, what do you see in your stick? Is it a chance to keep back from people that you don't like? What reason do you have if you're holding back your stick? What reason do you have? We see all of the reasons that they had here. They ended up dying because they they didn't get the revelation that together we can make a difference. See, if we all put our stick in the fire, none of us are going to die. But because of their own selfish reasons and selfish motives, all of them, for the reasons that they thought they would keep their gift back, ended up dying, not being fruitful, not doing the will of God on this earth. So as we read this poem, sometimes it's so easy to step back and look at something and just go, tis, 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 didn't they know? But sometimes we're in the forest so much so that we can't see the forest for the trees. God wants us to be that fire that's in the last days. There's a fire coming, and prophetically I'm saying this, even as Elijah on Mount Carmel in 1 Kings 18, he called down the fire. Remember, he drew all the false prophets, and he was outnumbered big time. 650 prophets to one. Now, how many you know, that doesn't look too good if you're the one. But see, what he had on his side was Jehovah, Uh Yahweh, God. And so he called all these false prophets and they dug a ditch and basically you know the end of the story. God sent fire from heaven and lapped up the water that they had in the trench. Now see, the the idols, the the, um, false prophets couldn't do anything. They were calling on their gods and Elijah started to jeer them. Well, maybe your God is asleep. Well, maybe he went to the bathroom because nothing was happening. And then Elijah stepped back and he called fire from heaven. But I want you to know or hear why he called fire from heaven. He said, Lord, that they would know you are God and that their hearts would turn back to you. There's a fire coming on this earth through the saints. For those who have the motive of God that they would know you are God. Not that I'm gifted, not that I'm all that, not that I can build the church, but God that they would know that you are God right. and that their hearts would turn back to you. That's the church God is calling in the last hour. Now, most of you probably don't think that God would use you like that. Let me tell you, all he needs is a yes from you and a consecrated vessel and it's on like popcorn, as the kids would say, because there's things that he wants us to do in this earth. That he's going to use his saints, his children, who believe. Ask your neighbor, do you believe? That's the question today. Because if you believe, then you, you believe, then together we make a difference. Not by ourselves, but together, with God, we make a difference. Our text assignment is from Exodus 17. So if you have your Bibles, please turn there. Exodus 17. And I'm going to start at verse 8. Exodus 17, starting at verse 8. Now, this was the victory over the Amalekites. And it says, Now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, Choose us some men and go out. Fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek." And Moses and Aaron and Ur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy so that he took a stone and put it under him and he sat on it. And Aaron and Ur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called it, The Lord is my banner. For he said, Because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Father, we thank you for your word. Open up our understanding. We declare revelation right now, Lord, that will transform our lives in Jesus' name. For those of you who are taking notes, um, the three points that I'm going to talk about today is the war, the work, and the win. The war, the work, and the win. Now, here we see Israel. They've just been delivered out of Egypt a couple um, chapters ago. Could you imagine being in bondage for 400 years and then all of a sudden you're free? Imagine those those three girls that were up in what was Ohio or someplace who were, you know, captive for 10 years. Can you imagine being captive for 10 years and now you're free? Imagine the adulation and the excitement and the fear and the things have changed in 10 years. Could you imagine what it feels like to be free? The slaves back in the day when they were free, where are they going? Many of them stayed on the plantation because they knew nothing different. But some of them ventured out. But where are we going? So this, here we have Moses traveling through the wilderness with Egypt because the Lord told him there's a promised land. Now he told Moses that. The children of Israel got the information from Moses that there's a promised land we're going to. Now, once you're free, you're thinking, oh, this is great, we're loose, we're going We're going home. Only two in different areas have to fight for what you own. Have you ever had to fight for what you already own? That's right. That's right. Wow. God said, I've given you the land, but what he forgot to tell them, and I shouldn't say forgot because he didn't tell them on purpose, because he said, had I told you, you would have went back to Egypt into bondage. So God didn't tell them, you're going to have to possess this land. Now there's a difference between ownership and possession. Ownership is your name is on it. Possession is you have to go get it. And that's the M-O of our God. He gives it to you and then he says go get it. Now there's giants in the land who don't want to move, who have squatted on that land and have just taken it for themselves. But the problem is God didn't give it to them. And so what we do is we go into the territory And we begin to possess what's already ours. And because God said it's yours, he fights on your behalf. And so as we see here the history of Israel, they're coming out of Egypt. How many have ever been to the ocean? Imagine standing on the shore, looking at the sea as far as your eye can see, and all of a sudden it parts. Could you imagine how high the walls would be of this sea, first of all? And not only does it part, the land that you're going to walk on is dry. This is what God did for Israel, the first miracle that they've ever seen like that. So they all cross over, and then the moment the last person cross over, and I'm not talking 30, 40, I'm talking about a million people crossing over. And then they turn only to see God close the sea, and Pharaoh and everybody in there who was with Pharaoh now perishes. So God held back those walls of the sea until his people got to the place he wanted. Then he closed it in. God will let your enemies pursue you so closely that you can see them and also fear them. But I want to encourage you today. He's bringing them close enough so you can see him vanquish them. Because you already have the victory. And not only do you already have the victory, God delivers us with a high hand. So he said, Now, Israel, turn around and get all the spoils that you see washing up. Go ahead and take them. So, not only does God deliver us, he gives us the spoils so we can be a blessing to somebody. Most of us just want to get out of the situation. God says, No, I want you to get out with a high hand so that you can help somebody. And so, as we see Israel coming out and they've seen the Red Sea, they've seen manna, now all of a sudden they're thirsty. So what does Israel do? You would think they would turn around and say, you know, he parted the Red Sea. We were hungry, and he gave us manna. Okay, let's everybody just worship the Lord right here, and we know he's faithful. Look back. He's faithful. He's going to give us water. Oh, no, that's not what Israel did. They started complaining. And Moses went, God, you're going to have to help me because these people are getting ready to kill me out here. How many times have you seen the goodness of God only for another need to come up? And what happens in your spirit? It wants to start complaining and getting into the moment when God wants us to look back and remember what he's done. And so we see Israel here now moaning because they're thirsty. So God, or Moses talks to, um, um, or God speaks to Moses and lets him know, look, you're going to strike the rock, water comes out. Now right after this is where we're getting ready to jump in. But I want you to see why they went through stages of the wilderness, which is in the, top portion of the uh, text in Deuteronomy 8 it says every commandment which I command you today you must be careful to observe that you may live and multiply everybody say multiply and go in and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers and you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness what to humble you to test you to know what was in your heart whether you would keep his commandments. So he humbled you, allowed you to be hungry, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you known that the man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Your garments did not wear out, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. You should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord your God chastens you. Therefore, you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. If you do not have a prayer request over your family, I would let verse 6 be that prayer request. That Lord, our family would follow your command, that we would walk in your ways and that we would fear you. Now, here God identifies to Israel why they had to go through the wilderness. Why didn't God just plop them up and put them in the promised land? It was because they were still in bondage on the inside. You could take, like they say, you could take the homie out the hood. But the question is, could you take the hood out the homie? Can you take the mindset and the attitudes of where he is and place him in something prosperous and see him prosper? They did an, an experiment and they took some people that were, lived in the, um, the this urban sections for years and what they did is they gave them money, gave them a nice place to live, and they wanted to see how successful they would be in that environment. Unfortunately, not one of them were successful and they, what they were trying to prove is that you can take somebody out of the environment But unless you deal with the inside, they bring that environment, that mentality with them, and they still are in poverty even though they're in a prosperous place. What God wants us to be is not just prosperous on the outside. He wants us to be prosperous on the inside. Isn't that what Paul said? I wish that you would prosper even as your soul prospers. That's the real prosperity. Because when your soul prospers, then no matter what God gives you is always for the kingdom. Always for the kingdom. So that's what he was pulling out of Israel. Israel, you've been in bondage a long time. And you're getting ready to go to the promised land. So in between bondage and the promised land, guess what? We're going to deal with all these mental ideas you have of what freedom is. Because what you think freedom is, is not freedom. And so this is what we see happening for Israel now here the Emma let's talk about who they are now these were some fierce dudes basically and how they made their living is they would go and just squander attack people with riches and that's how they would have their wealth they were known to live by the dead sea do you know anybody that lives around dead things that just goes and steals instead of doing what they need to do to prosper themselves this is where these people lived so now they're told, and they were some fierce guys, they weren't just anybody, in you know, the neighbor. But these, this was the gang, so to speak, of that time. And anybody that went through this area had to deal with the Amalekites. And most of the time, nobody won. So, matter of fact, back then, it was an insult to say to Israel that you were a friend of an Amalekite. It was a total insult. And so as they heard of Um, Amalekites, they did not want to have to deal with them. So here we have a people who seen God's grace, now complaining about water, now getting ready to deal with the Amalekites. Can you see the dilemma? Mm -hmm. Now there's different people I want you to see in this text because it represents your church. First we have Moses. Now Moses equals your pastor. God is speaking directly to your pastor to give instruction to you. Now. In our society, it's hard to really realize how God operates because we're of a democracy. Everybody gets a vote. Well, in God's kingdom, there is no democracy. It's theocracy. So those who live in England or places like that where they have a king, they really understand scripture because that's kind of the format they live in anyway. For us, it's a little different because we're used to having a vote. But when we step into the kingdom, we need to understand God's MO, mode of operandi how god operates and what god does is he chooses a leader he speaks to them he tells those other leaders to get other leaders and they lead the people into the promised land that god has ordained so it's not even your pastor's idea where you're going god has scripted where foundation christian ministries need to go and so he tells the pastor and the pastor has to turn and tell you god's people so we see moses here and now they can't run back to Egypt God delivered them they have to what go possess this land so of course Amalek's—they're dwellers in the valley that's what that word means so we're not dwellers in the valley how many, how many are we're dwellers of the mountaintop Amen. that's where our Lord lives so here we are they have to deal with it so Moses has the strategic plan from God now the warfare is we gotta go up against the most fierce gang in the land so They start repositioning or positioning themselves. Moses said, look, I'm going to go up on the top of the hill, and not only am I going to go on the top of the hill, I'm going to take the staff of God with me. Now, most of you know what that staff is. That's the one he threw down, and it became a serpent in front of Pharaoh. This is the one that he struck the water, and it became blood. This is the rod that God had given Moses to lead. Now, in the beginning, remember, there were 12 tribes. And remember, it's not a democracy. It's a theocracy. And so all of them were like, I don't know who Moses thinks he is. You know, all of us have the leadership quality. I hear from God, too. Yeah. So Moses went to God. Y'all know? Okay. So Moses went to God and said, look, now, I'm not even trying to be a leader. It's one thing if I was trying to promote myself and be out there. Lord, I don't even want to lead these people. But God, you are the one who told me to do it. So God said, told Moses, tell the leaders of each tribe to bring out a rod. And the next day, that's exactly what they did. And he said, the one whose rod buds is the one that I have anointed to lead. And of course, it was who? Moses' rod that budded. Now, all that rod was a dead branch off a tree. So if I've asked every last one of you to go outside to a tree, pull off a branch, and tomorrow morning we're going to come in, and whoever's branch is budding, that's the one who leads. Well, we know a branch cannot bud apart from its source. So you know, it's a miracle in itself for this rod to be budding, and it's off the life support, so to speak. So what God was saying is, I'm taking you off of a natural source, and I'm putting you in a spiritual source. So when you go, keep in mind that I made this bud rod. You had nothing to do with it. No human effort, no natural laws. This is me leading these people. This is my decision. So that's how Moses got the job to lead these people. And we see over and over, Moses just basically, in so many words, every day was like, just kill me, Lord, just take me away from you, just kill me. <laughs> because these people are obstinate, they, don't, they rebel, they just wanna go back to eat, just let them go, Lord. But we see in the wilderness, Moses began to develop a heart for God and a heart for his people. Because God tested Moses and said, you know, I'm just gonna kill them all. Moses said, don't do that, Lord. Because the enemy will say you brought your people out of here, out there to kill them. How many of you could have said that? Your neighbors just keep stoning you, slashing your tires, doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And God said, you know what? I'm just going to wipe your neighborhood out so you don't have to deal with this. Mm -hmm. How many of us would say, yes, Lord, please just do that. Let's just start all over again with some new neighbors. (laughs) How many of you say, no, Lord, don't do that? You can work and change these people. See, that was a test that Moses passed because he began to develop the heart for the people. So the warfare was, okay, we're going to have to position ourselves. Moses is on the mountain. He looks at Joshua and he says, Joshua, you take the military going down in the valley. We're going to fight. Aaron and Ur, who are leaders, follow Moses to the top of the hill. Now, here's the work of it all, the strategy that God had. Every time Moses lifted his arms, Israel won. Every time Moses dropped his arms, Amalek started to win. So, now, how many of you are wishing that your pastor keeps his hands up? Especially if you're Israel in the valley fighting this fierce gang. You're going to want Moses to keep those hands up. And every time his hands dropped, they saw, okay, we're losing. So Aaron and Ur decide to get a rock that'll preach all by itself. And they sat their pastor on that rock. And one got on one side of Moses and lifted up his arm. And the other got on the other side of Moses and lifted his arm. So his arms would stay lifted. And we know the end of the story, Israel wins. Now let me talk about that work. Some of you are Aaron's and Ur's. You're called to be alongside your pastor to lift his arms up. Because even though it seems minimal that you would just lift somebody's arms up. But do you see what that little work did for Israel in the valley? Mm -hmm. So never think what God calls you to do as small. Because if his arms weren't lifted, they were not going to win the battle. That was the strategy of the Lord. Sometimes you come in and maybe all you're doing is handing out a bulletin. Or you're dealing with the children. Or you're cleaning up the place. These small things are what? Holding up your pastor's arms. And as you do these small things, small things make a big difference. Have you ever been on a cruise ship and seen the captain's wheel? That wheel controls that entire ship. So all that captain has to do is go in and start turning that wheel, and guess what? That huge ship has to obey what that wheel is telling it to do. So if the captain directs it to go left, it goes left. So small things change big things. And this is what we see here of Aaron and Ur, that small gesture of lifting their pastor up, setting him on the rock, reminding him, Moses, this isn't your strength, it's Jesus that we depend on. So you just rest in Jesus. Didn't Ephesians say we are seated with him where? In heavenly places. So we fight from a seated, or seated position. Why? Because the victory has already been won. It's already been won by Jesus. So that's a great picture of where pastors need to sit. Sit in Jesus, that's where we fight, because we know it's a fixed fight. We've got this, as long as Jehovah is with us, we're gonna win the battle, it is a fixed fight. On, now so we have Moses, we have extended leaders, Aaron and Er. then we have Joshua. Now Joshua is kinda like a care pastor, because he's with all of the army and he's in the trenches. Have you ever seen when we go to war, I've never seen now one president we have go to war with our commander or with our team. Why? Because he has to sit back and call the shots. He's the one that has to declare what's getting ready to happen and go down. And so here we have Joshua, who is a care pastor, leading them in the trench against this fierce army. Now, you know, Joshua was happy when the arms were lifted. And remember, now, he's, car- he's caring for men that some of them were the ones complaining, we need to go back. So we want to be encouraging to our leaders that God is more than able to deliver us. Yeah. It has nothing to do with Moses, has nothing to do with Joshua, has everything to do with who told us to come in this valley, and it is our God. He is the one who has called us to go possess what we already own. And so you may be a Joshua. Now Joshua turns around and has to deal relationally with these, these soldiers. Or you might be a soldier in the trench. You might be the one God is calling to fight. What are we fighting for today? You know, we already have the land. So what are we fighting for? The land is no longer natural, it's spiritual. We are after the hearts of men. That's the battlefield. Because the enemy has tried to claim land in the minds and the hearts of the people. So you are on the battlefield every day, whether you're in your neighborhood, whether you're on your job, wherever you go, that is the battlefield. And the enemy in your school, God has called you to be the soldier that goes in and takes the territory. Didn't the Bible say the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. That means the enemy has come and he's trespassed on the minds of God's people. They're deceived. So when we come into the environment, we just don't come to compromise, to make everybody feel good. We have come to change the atmosphere. We have come to possess the land that already belongs to God. So we're not thermometers that go in and just gauge the temperature. You know, I hate this job. I hate my boss. I hate the workers. I just hate it all. You're gauging the temperature. God has called you to be a thermostat. You go in and you change the temperature by the way you live, by the way you speak, the way, the way you pray for people. When I was working in the secular world, nobody asked me to go to happy hour. They would all be in their little clusters and they'd all go out but never asked me to go, which I wasn't mad about because I wouldn't go. But the moment one of them had a problem, they would knock on my door. Can I talk to you a minute? Can you pray for me? Now, they didn't want anybody else to know. They were like Nick night. You remember Nicodemus? He came to God at what? At night. Because he didn't want to see the other leaders. He didn't want the other leaders to see he was asking Jesus a question. But they would come in my office, close my door, and ask me, could I pray for them? Yes, absolutely. I loved having that reputation. With my family, I have the same thing. They go to casino. They go to the club. They know not to ring my digits. But the moment somebody dies or a wedding, they put me on the program, they don't even ask me. I just show up, oh by the way, you're doing such and such and such. What a great reputation to have. Because you're going in and you're what? Possessing the hearts and the minds of God's people. And so here we have all of them working together to gain the land that the Amalek's are now crouching on but they don't own it, it is ours. And we see God gave them the victory. So again, Moses hand up, we win. Moses hands down, we lose. Aaron and Ur er come in support. 1 Corinthians 12:18 says, But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body, as it has pleased him. Everybody say, has pleased him. Has pleased. That means you don't get to decide what church you go to. There are many members in the body, because remember the Bible says we are many members of what? One body. Oh, right. The body of the Lord. Now, we are many members of one body, and God places those members how He sees fit, what pleases Him. So, some of you may be ears, your hearers, your seers, your prophetic. And God wants to dispatch you into Foundation Christian because why? That's what's needed. Now, we let me go, because I know you're not like this, so just let me talk about me a minute. When I was looking for a church, I wasn't looking for the Word. I wasn't looking for a great sermon. I was looking for the choir. Do they have a dance team? Because I'm in the arts, I wanted a drama team. I didn't want to go here, Lord. I wanted the pews. I wanted the, and God plopped us in a hotel. I thought, God, this is not where, okay. My husband, <laughs> my husband's friend, that his co-worker, I should say, started this church. So when we went, I was like, this is all good and everything, but we ain't staying. Okay, we just gonna check it out. We're gonna support your friend. But this ain't it. <laughs> so how many know God rocked my world and said, oh, this is it, and this is where you're going to be going? I was hot. I was like, God, first of all, they don't have a choir. Second of all, they meet in a hotel. I'm not trying to set up no chairs and break this down. and do all, I'm not trying to do all that, Lord. I want to go in. I want to hear the choir because I was a choir person. Because the last church we were in, they had the youth choir. Now, the youth choir was on the third Sunday. That's when the most attendance occurred. The first Sunday was the older choir because that was Communion, so the attendance was kind of low at first, service, or first Sunday because we knew what choir was singing, okay? So <laughs> all these natural uh, things that we have had no idea what God wanted is what I wanted. But I noticed every time I get what I want, it never works out right. And then I look at God and say, can you bless this mess? And he's, no. You can repent and line up with my will. And that's exactly what I did. Now, my, my idea of my lifestyle, what I was going to do, was not a pastor. I wanted to be a prosecuting attorney. My husband was in law enforcement, and we got to know a lot of people in the courthouse, judges, police officers. That's where my vibe was. I wanted to go into the courtroom, and my husband would lock it up, and then I would prosecute him. End of the day. But God began to tap on my shoulder and say, I have something planned for you. Come on, come on, and then I tried to ignore the Lord like I didn't hear him. You ever see kids, la, 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 They think because they do that, you can't <laughs> I know none of you have done this. So me, I'm like, la, 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 in the spirit realm. God says, okay. So he sends your pastor. You know, I really believe God is calling you to preach. And at the time, we were in a church that the pastor didn't believe in women pastors. I was like the devil is a lie, but but the Lord told me and I didn't tell anyone, so if you don't do what God tells you to do, he'll start telling on you, and he was the first one that God told, so he called me one day and he says, tell me something, I was in my prayer closet and the Lord said, he has called you to preach, shut me right up, I was like, oh, no, you didn't tell on me, Lord, because now I have to be accountable, see, it's one thing when it's just you and God. It's another thing when he tells somebody else. Now he's introduced accountability. Now I'm in trouble because I can't act like I didn't hear God. God said, let me help you just in case you thought it wasn't me. So he brought somebody close to me that I respected, he and his wife, and knew that when they say it, it's not just bad cereal or a bad dream. God is saying something so i just said okay yeah yeah that's all good and we're not going to say anything you know you know the christian things you say i'm praying about it you know i just don't feel led right now to step into that all of that was a farce because i was determined i'm not gonna preach there's just no no lord so i'm just continuing on my little happy way thinking okay i'm gonna go to law school and went to talk to the lead prosecuting attorney in fairfax county And she looked at me, she goes, I'm going to help you with everything you need. Just tell me, doors are open, I'm going to help you with your L stats, everything. I was happy. How many of you know, God is moving. He's opening doors. This is awesome. And then all of a sudden I get pregnant. I said, Lord, flag on the play. (laughs) This was not on the program. (laughs) Our surprise and our blessing came. And I thought, well, this is going to delay stuff, but that's okay, because I can study while, you know, I'm taking care of the baby. I'll be studying. God just says, you're going to get it one day. So I was attending the church. We were attending together, and all of a sudden, I started getting invitations. Can you do this Bible study? And can you do that Bible study? Sure, not a problem. How I many you know that was a setup? So I'm like, sure. So I was studying one day and had all this out, and my husband came in the room, stopped dead in his tracks, and he looked at me. And he said, you're not going to law school. God is calling you to pastor, to be a full-time pastor. I was so mad at him, I could have spit nails. I looked at him, I said, no, he's not. And I went on back to studying, knowing that he was correct. And here I am, can't imagine doing anything different. Because when you step into the will of God, it's that place that everything is provided for you. And he's turned my heart, just like he turned Moses' heart, That, Lord, I'm going to fight for this till I die, because I've grabbed hold of your will. I've learned that I'm a member of a body, and there's a specific place that he has ordained for me. So if I'm an ear, I better not act like I'm an eye. How would you like me to be driving your car and I'm just an ear? (laughs) Could you imagine the accidents that will occur because I'm outside of my gift? So you want to operate in your gift because people are depending on you. It's not just about you. So if you're an ear, you better go where God wants you to go so that you'll be fruitful because it's not just about being planted. It's about being fruitful. God cursed the fig tree. The fig tree was planted. Matter of fact, it had foliage on it like it looked real good. How many of us come up in the church looking real good? Got our suit on. We're smiling. Praise the Lord. Now we just fussed everybody out before we got here. We kick the dog, and we're not even talking to our spouse, but we hit that. Door. Praise the Lord! Foliage don't I look good? Everybody say where the fruit? Because that's what God is looking for. He's not impressed with the foliage. He wants the fruit, which equals our character, which equals our obedience. God, we're in where you want us to be. We're doing what you want us to do. It's at his pleasure. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, and 7 says, We find this treasure in earthen vessels. Right. Say, I have, a treasure in me. I have a treasure in me. Now, how many of you have ever seen treasures that are just sitting on top of the ground? That wouldn't be a treasure, would it? Usually there's a map, and you have to go find it, and you have to dig for it. That's a good picture of this foundation because God has laid you as a foundation in this church. When people come in the door, it is your job to get the coordinates from God. What are you calling this person to do? Then you got to go search after them. Excuse me, would you like to usher today? Would you like to get on the usher team? We need help in the children's ministry. And then you need to dig in their lives because there's dirt on top of the treasure. So you're going to have to, the the man who bought the the land to get to that one treasure had to get the dirt, right? He bought the dirt and the treasure. You're going to have to start digging in that person's life because you know there's a treasure down there. And so what does that digging look like? Discipleship. It looks like you being taught the word of God and how to be a disciple and to go make disciples because the job doesn't, is not complete just because we're a disciple, a great disciple. God said, be a disciple and what? Go make disciples. Go take that land, go possess that land. Yes, there's a gang that doesn't want you to get there, known as the culture, but guess what? I'm your God and I am with you and I'm going to fight with you. So the work is that we understand there's a treasure in here and we let people dig in our life so that treasure comes to the surface and advances the kingdom of God. As we look at the work of God and the war of God, guess what? You're gonna to have to do that at the same time. You're gonna to have to war with one hand, Nehemiah, and work with the other. Because there's people coming in that aren't looking for Jesus. Right. They're looking to stop the will of God. I'm gonna say that again. They're looking to stop the will of God. Their assignment is to come into the church and stop the will of God. Now the moment you take it personal is the moment you've already lost the battle, because our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's what? Spiritual. That, that work in, in the evil work in high places, as Ephesians 6 says. So as we understand that, we keep it on the right battlefield, and you get on your knees and you start declaring and decreeing, you start taking authority over the spirits that have been sent to hinder, you'll see your God show up in mighty ways and do what he promised to do. So it feels like you didn't even lift a hand, but you did, because you're what? Warring. So when you come to church, it's not just about hearing the great word, serving and going home. You are like Joshua and the children of Israel in the valley. You are warring with the things that have come against you personally, have come against your family, have come against your church, have come against your pastor. Every day it's a victory when we walk into the church because it reminds us that God is here and he's doing what he promised to do in the midst of our enemies. Did he not say, I will prepare a table for you? Where? In the presence of your enemies. A lot of us want the enemy gone and he's part of the equation because God is gonna make him sit and watch you eat from the banquet table that God has provided. So the enemy is part of the equation. Now the last part is the win. It says Joshua overwhelmed, which means disabled Amalek, and the people with the edge of the sword. Now the word of the Lord, it says in in Hebrews four, is like a two-edged sword. So when when you use the word, it cuts coming and going. A lot of us are trying to win the war without a weapon. Could you imagine being in a bank and all of a sudden robbers come in and they have guns and they're trying to rob the bank. All you were trying to do is cash your check and now you're in the midst of this and praise God you hear sirens so you know help is on the way. And the officers bust up into the bank and all they have is some mace. When your robbers are standing there with Uzis, Uh uh-oh. Now the people that were supposed to help you are the ones that need help themselves. We don't want to show up because the enemy, the thief, is stealing all the time. And we are those spiritual police officers. We do not want to show up with the wrong weapon. Psalms 144 says, blessed is the Lord that teaches my hands how to do war and my fingers to do battle. That's right. Which means you all have to be girded up. All those weapons in Ephesians 6 weren't so you would just look good. It's so that everything you find yourself in, you already have the victory. Because God has given us everything we need pertaining to what? Life and godliness. So when we show up, it's a done deal. It's a fixed fight. The enemy has to move out of the way. That's exactly what happened. Joshua and the people overwhelmed Amalek. That means the scoreboard said 100 to 0. Have you ever been at a game where a score like 40, 45 to zero? It's one of those flush outs. That's what this looked like, that they overwhelmed Amalek. And God said to Moses, now write it down, write in the book, because you know the people are going to forget it. Write this down this day what I have done for you. Right. This is a victory, Israel. This is a victory, Joshua. This is a victory that you need to remember. And say it in the ears of Joshua. Why? Because this is the first war that Joshua had to fight without Moses being at his side. Mm. Talking about the next generation kids, sometimes Pastor Gary's going to come to you, i want you to do the offering today. Yeah. <laughs> Your eyes, could you imagine, Joshua, you want me to do what? You want me to take this army down in the valley and fight, who? Yes, the next generation, you're being taught to fight. So pay attention when you're next to Moses. Because one day, you're going to have to go down there, Joshua, without Moses. Now, Moses is going to be there physically, but he's not going to be there right next to you. So you need to pay attention to how Moses wars, because you're going to have to war one day, and Moses is going to stand afar off and watch. Now, his hands are still going to be lifted in praise and thanksgiving, because that represents supernatural provision. When our hands are down, no praise, uh uh-oh, we lose. How many of you have your hands lifted in your house? Lift it over your job, lift it over what God has given you. Lord, I recognize this is supernatural provision, and without you, we wouldn't have it. Keep your hands lifted. So, what Moses did is he recorded it as God told him to. And you see that over and over in the Old Testament. God would tell them to write it down. He said, record their starting places. How many of you record your starting places? Do you remember how you started your journey as I share with you mine? Do you remember before you knew Christ and now where you are because you know Christ? Sometimes you got to remember those things. Turn back, look in your journal, remember the things that God has done because it strikes praise in your heart. And you know the next battle is not going to be any different from this battle. God is going to overcome our enemy. He has overcome our enemy. So Moses built an altar. And he said to the Lord, this, I'm going to make this, this place, this altar, and I'm going to call it the Lord is my banner, or Jehovah Nisi, which means he is over us. This is the word of the Lord. He told me to speak over your church today, that God is over you. And as long as you keep your hands lifted in praise, as long as you do the order of God, you will see your enemies vanquished. God is our banner. So what do we do with trials? We lift our hands. We take the authority that God has given us. That staff that Moses had represented the authority. Do you know you have authority in Christ? So when the enemy comes and tries to take your stuff, you have authority to tell him to leave, command him to leave, get off my marriage, get off my finances, get off my children. You don't have to deal with him rolling up in your house, the house that you paid a mortgage for, and wrecking it. That's what he wants to do. John 10, 10, he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But Christ said, I've come that you have life and have it in abundance. So we see that day the victory was won. Jehovah Nisi, Lord, you're the banner over us. As we come to church, are you allowing God to dig in your heart to find the treasure, the gift that he's placed in you? Just because you don't see it doesn't mean it's not there. He said, we, I placed it there. So you don't even have to guess if it's there. You got to let people start digging in your life so that treasure is evident to all of us. And as you do that, you're going to see the same thing that happened on this mount for you. It's not a coincidence you're meeting in a school right now. Our church meets in a school. We have a, a church, and we have, we have two satellite campuses. And what we do is we declare over those children that are in dominion. The kids that are walking in every day, the teachers, the administration, do you think it's by coincidence that the Lord allows you to start the week for the school? What are you declaring over these children? What are you declaring? Are you taking the land for God in this school? Because where the battlefield is where in the hearts of people. So God has allowed us to be here in this school. So we can walk in. I declare and decree, every child will follow the Lord. I declare and decree every addiction broken. I declare and decree that every family is blessed by the hand of God, that they are not deceived by the enemy. What are you declaring and decreeing as you're leaving this place? See, because God is the banner over us. So when we lift our hands, people win the war. God has called us not just to own but to possess. Mm -hmm. And as we celebrate this third anniversary, happy anniversary, We are so grateful that even as God told Moses, write this down. Why? Because I want you to remember it. Every year we get to remember what God has done. So right here today, this anniversary is a Jehovah Nisi moment because he's the banner that's over this church. In closing, I want you to take this stick and I want you to pray and ask God, what am I doing with the gift that's in me? Am I holding it back? For whatever reason, just as the people in the story, everybody had a reason why they were holding their gift back. And we see all of them died, not from the cold without, but what? The cold within. I want you all to be fire starters in a good way. Call the fire from heaven, just as Elijah did. And don't call it for selfish motives. Call it so that they will know that he is God and that their hearts would turn back to him. We need to start a bonfire in the body of Christ. Could you imagine if every saint took their birch, their stick of wood, and placed it in the fire? How big would that fire roar for Christ? On one side, I want you to write your gift, what you believe God has called you to do in this church. What is it that he wants you to do? And I want you to make sure that you're doing it. And if you don't know how to do it or what it is, your pastor will help you. Pastor, what do you see? Because it's people that start digging in your life that find the treasure and they open it for you and they allow you to see what God is doing. And as we do that, let's continue to catch other people on fire, who are you inviting to church? Who are you talking to on your job? Are you starting a fire, is it all just about you? I'm holding my stick back. I don't wanna help this person, don't like that person, really don't wanna be around that person. Because each one of us are going to pass away from this earth and you know what the scripture says? We're going to stand before him and give an account. Uh-oh. He said an account for everything we've said or done. Now, I know that really doesn't hit you right now because we hear that all the time. Go to a funeral. The next time you're at a funeral and you look at that person in the casket, say, one day that's going to be me. And right now, before God, this person might be given an account. We're standing here crying over them in the natural, but in the spiritual, I bet they're before God giving an account. What will your account be like? Have you ever thought about that? What are you going to say to God? Oh, I was a good person. I tried. You have the power of the Holy Spirit living in you. So I tried in a good person. I'm going to help you on this side. That's not going to work. Do everything that you're doing to the zeal and the honor of God. And as you celebrate this anniversary, even as God said to Moses, write it down, Recite it in the ears of the Joshua's, I did this. And he said, not only am I going to vanquish and deal with your enemy, he said, from generation to generation. What does that mean? Well, there are going to be some more Amalek's. Don't think because this day you got the victory Praise God, I didn't go on the pornography site today. Praise God, I didn't do the drugs. Praise God, I didn't commit adultery, I didn't fornicate. Oh, it's coming back. From generation to generation, God said, I dealt with Amalek, Which means, whatever your sin is, if it goes to the next generation, God will deal with it. But he he is asking you to vanquish, just as he did, as Joshua did. Vanquish that enemy no I'm not looking at the pornography site, no I'm not doing that alcohol, no to this, no to adultery, no to fornication, no to the fruits of the spirit, I'm about lifting up my hands and remembering that Jehovah Nissi is the banner over us. Father, we thank you today. Thank you for the work that you've given this house. And Lord, we declare and decree that this is a fruitful house. Lord, that it's not just a tree that's planted, but it's a tree that's fruitful. Lord, I ask that you would show them in their spirits where they are in you, what gift they have in you, and where your pleasure is to deploy it. Father, we thank you for the people that aren't even here yet that are supposed to be. We call them forth by faith in the name of Jesus. I declare and decree within a year this place is going to be too small. You're going to have to find another place The Lord, show them in the spirit now so they can prepare for later. We thank you for the warfare, Lord, because we know we already possess it. It's a fixed fight. So we will not fear going into the battle because we know we've already won. We thank you that when our arms are lifted in praise, when we remember your supernatural intervention, we've already won. Our attitudes and our perspective are right. Father, we thank you that we are victorious. Thank you that Foundation Christian Church is victorious already, Lord. No matter what they see in the natural, we know positionally they are already victorious. Father, we thank you for the win. May every last one of us in this room get your definition of what the win looks like so that when we stand before you, when we give an account, Lord, you will say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. May that be said over every last hearer in this room and the families that they represent. Bless Pastor Gary and Pastor Peggy. We thank you for their obedience to go to the top of the hill and not just dwell in the valley. By faith they climb this hill in tears when they're tired. Lord, when they're joyful, whatever season they're in, they still decided to climb the mountain. God, I thank you that they're seated on you. You're seated on the rock. And, Lord, I thank you for the mighty men and women that you've surrounded them with, not only just to climb the mountain, but to lift his hands up when he gets weary. Thank you that every joint supplies, and the hand can't say to the foot, I have no need of you. Bless this church, I pray. We declare this word in faith, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you for allowing me to share with you today. It's been a blessing.